0: I want to pray for us, and then, and then we'll get to it. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, and uh, God, I pray for your anointing. I pray that you would anoint uh, my words. I want my words this morning to come across as humble, but also authoritative, like I want them to matter. I pray for the people in the room, people watching online, that you would give them ears to hear, eyes to see what you want to say to your beloved church this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but uh, a lot of people these days are are meal prepping. Are you familiar with that? Like a lot of people are meal prepping, and this is kind of what that is. If you don't know, is that like maybe on a Sunday afternoon they'll um, just grill up a bunch of chicken, and then they pull out a bunch of Tupperware bowls, and they'll put like maybe they have seven pieces of Tupperware, and they'll put a chicken breast in each one of those. Tupperware bowls might throw in some chickpeas, maybe a little squash, something like that, right? And then that's their lunch for the week. Like every day, that's what they are going to eat. And the idea is, you know, these people, they want to uh, eat healthy. They recognize that's a very difficult thing to do on the fly, and so they develop a health plan. They have a health plan, and I I can respect that. And then um, there are other people who are just uh, really good at budgeting their money. I mean, um, these are people who work with like Excel spreadsheets and they have uh, receipt books and, and every week they keep track of where every dollar goes. It's like they get paid and once they get paid. Some of it goes to checking, some to saving, some to pay some of the bills, maybe a little bit to charity. But these people have like college funds for their kids and retirement funds for themselves. They even have portfolios. I don't even know what a portfolio is, but these people have them, you know. They uh, are concerned about being financially stable in the future and so they have a financial plan. And I can respect that too. And then there are other people who are just really concerned uh, with their beauty routine. Like they're focused on taking care of their skin, trying to maintain that youthful uh, glow and vitality. And so these people at night, every night before they go to bed, they put on all sorts of different like face moisturizers and creams and stuff like that. I mean, it's like... um, uh, I've got this face wash, and it's made out of ash from the Himalayan mountains, and I've heard that it is incredible at unclogging pores, you know, and it costs like $100 an ounce, but I had to get it because it's magic, and so now I use it all the time, every night before before I go to bed, because you got to keep that skin tight, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, these people, maybe they go to spas and they do like Botox or the, uh, or certain pills or just any kind of, of, of special treatments or whatever it is they do, but they're just really concerned about maintaining their look. And so they have a beauty plan. And again, I can respect that too. Now, I'm not talking here about in people's lives when these things become idols, because sometimes they do, but I'm just talking about how people in general, when it comes maybe to uh, their money, to their health, to their beauty, and some of the people who want to take care of themselves. And these are just uh, three examples of the kind of plans that we have. I mean, there's hundreds of others. I mean, other people have, like, exercise Plans. You know, they work out, uh, they have workout plans, they have vacation plans, or we make plans to improve at certain hobbies, like we'll take badminton lessons or golf lessons or guitar lessons just to try to improve at a certain skill. All of these plans just stem from a desire within us for self-improvement. But here is my question to you today, and then I want us to get into the text for this morning. What is your discipleship plan? Like, what's your plan to become like Jesus? Do you have a strategy in life to build character? Like, how do you integrate discipleship and spiritual formation into? your daily life. I mean, surely, if we have plans to take care of our bodies and plans to protect our skin, shouldn't we also have a plan to nurture our souls? Jesus himself said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? Church, many of us know God. And as Mark talked about last week, we know that we are supposed to become imitators of God, but we do not have a plan or a process to make that happen. Why? Why? Could it be our unwillingness to submit our lives to God's authority? Could it be that our rebellious hearts are much more interested in God's hand than in God's plan? Now, I want you to put a pin in that, okay? We're going to pause right there, and we're going to come back to that here in a few minutes. But right now, we're going to look at the text for this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And this is what the text says. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands... However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What a fun text this is to get to preach this morning. He says very reluctantly. I mean, this thing, this is a doozy, all right? Uh, I have been in ministry now for uh, almost 20 years and. Um, I committed pretty early on in my ministry that I wouldn't avoid tough texts, you know? I mean, when we're doing a series and verses come up, even if they're not easy, I've just always said, hey, I'm going to preach those things to the best of my ability because if the Bible speaks to it, I kind of feel like we ought to talk about it, and so that's what I'm going to do today, okay? I'm going to give you the best that I've got. Now, what I would ask uh, from you all is, hey, show me a little extra grace this morning, okay? Uh, recognize, as I do, that this topic is delicate. I mean, especially for those people who have um, been hurt, you know, deeply or are deeply wounded. Historically speaking, there's no denying that these verses have been used to marginalize and oppress women, and I have no interest in that, okay? I know that there are some of you in the room that when you hear those words, wives, submit to your husbands it makes you cringe and uh, i think that that is a a reasonable response i honestly believe that the word submit is one of the most hated words in the english language because uh, over the years we have heard and seen it be used and manipulated to lead to the corruption of power When I told Stacy what I was going to preach on this morning, she just went, shoo. And when I told Bethany what I was going to preach on, she just kind of stared at me for a minute. But alas, here we are, our final series uh, on uh, With Love Incorruptible from the book of Ephesians. Let's go. Now, there are two main mistakes that I think people make when they approach this text. Uh, The first, I believe, to be a mistake of offense, and the second to be a mistake of order. And we're going to talk about both of those, but let's talk first about the mistake of offense. There is no question that when many women read these verses, they are offended by them. They don't like the idea of being told or asked to place themselves under anybody else's leadership or under someone else's authority. And while I understand that, what I don't understand is why more men aren't offended by these verses. And this is what what I mean, okay? While Paul calls wives in the text to, to submit to their husbands, he calls men in the text to love their wives the way that Christ loves the church. The call on women is a call to submit. The call on men is a call to die. Uh, Can we at least all agree that both of these are incredibly difficult things to do? They are both uh, offensive. I mean, think about how Christ loved the church. He bore all its shame. He took upon Himself all of its pain He gave up his entire life for his bride. So Paul is saying to the women at the church in Ephesus, you need to submit to him. But he is saying to the men, the church in Ephesus, you need to lay down your life for her. One is a call to submission. The other is a call to sacrifice. Neither are easy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul gives us a taste of what the love of Jesus looks like, like the way that Jesus loves his bride. And uh, it's it's a beautiful passage. I'm going to read it from the message. This is 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Again, I want you to keep in mind, this is the way that Christ loves the church, his heart for the church. This is what the text says. It says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Now, these verses are incredibly beautiful, but they are also incredibly challenging. I mean, how are we supposed to do that? I was talking to Randy Love and Mike Morris last Sunday night as we were tearing down after the Haitian worship service and I was just telling those guys I've been swimming in this passage from 1 Corinthians 13 for a while and I was trying to let that kind of love of Christ reflect back on me and seeing okay where's some gaps in the way that I love people and I really felt like the spirit just kind of called me out on that line where it says love doesn't keep score of the sins of others because I'm going to tell y'all right now in the form of confession I keep score I'm not proud of it but if you've hurt me i won't let it prevent me from loving you but i have a logbook, a mental log book in my brain and i've got little notes in there i take notes all the time on hey this is the way that i've been grieved this person did this and i find it incredibly difficult to let it go and jesus is saying here, hey love don't do that that's not what love, love doesn't keep score That 1 Corinthians 13, church, this is what Paul means when he says that husbands are to love their wives the way that Christ loved the church. We are supposed to put their needs above our own. We are supposed to put up with anything to trust God always and to never look back. We're supposed to always want to see the best in our brides. Listen to me, church. This isn't a text about pulling rank. It's a text about outdoing one another in love. These verses, it's not a text about pulling rank. These verses are about outdoing one another in love. If Paul calls wives in the text to make themselves low, he is calling men in the text to make themselves even lower. Our example is Jesus washing the disciples feet we all know in that story who the person is that has the authority it's Jesus but he's also the one on his knees with a bucket and with soap and with water this is a text about submission and sacrifice it's a text about the laying down of pride, but also the laying down of a life. Ultimately, this is a text about the love of Christ. And when we read it, I think both sexes should be offended by it and challenged by it. Are y'all with me? Making sense? One of the things that I think we often miss here is that our offense or uh, the vocabulary there that I think it blinds us to the fact that Paul in these verses uh, offers us some pretty incredible marital advice. And I think a lot of times we don't see it because we won't peel back, we won't look beyond that first layer. But this is what I mean. In this text, I believe that Paul speaks to what is often the core issue that causes problems in marriages. And this is what I mean. Like I said, I've been in ministry now for a long time, and uh, over the course of uh, those years, I've seen a whole lot of marriages fall apart. I've, uh, I won't counsel with couples, I don't do counseling, I'm not a professional counselor, but I will listen to people, I will listen to couples, and so I've had a lot of people come in and share with me you know, stories of what's going on and the direction that their marriage is headed, and what's interesting about that is um, a lot of people's stories are very similar. Okay? Uh, Oftentimes, couples will come in and uh, the husbands almost always say the same thing. They'll say, uh, Brock, I don't feel like my wife respects me anymore. And then wives, I'm not saying always, but almost always say the same thing too. They will say, Brock, I don't feel like my husband cherishes me anymore. You know, a relationship, a marriage is in trouble when a husband doesn't feel respected and when a wife doesn't feel cherished. Now, the interesting thing about that is that Paul speaks very specifically to both of those things in these verses. He even uses those exact same words. In chapter 5, verse 33, he tells wives that they need to respect their husbands, and in verse 29, he tells husbands that they need to cherish their wives. Now, what does cherishing and respecting look like on a practical level? Well, I think it might look like submission and sacrifice. Submission says, I respect you enough to surrender to your authority. Sacrifice says, I cherish you enough that I would give up anything and everything for you Paul is saying wives respect your husbands husbands cherish your wives not because one of those things is more important than the other but I think he's just trying to speak to the heart of the man and to the heart of of the woman now listen I'm not trying to say here that women don't want to be respected or that men don't want to be cherished I mean I want Bethany to cherish the heck out of me right right I mean, like, all of me, this body's worth way more than $100 an ounce. You know what I mean? And I'm not made of Himalayan ash from a volcano or anything like that. I don't even know if there are Himalayan volcanoes. (laughs) I think Paul's just speaking here to what he saw. And just like in our culture, we, we a lot of times try to think that we're way different. Things are way different now than they were back then. I'm not so sure that's true. I think maybe he had counseled with a lot of couples who experienced what the same thing that I experienced. A lot of people came in saying the same thing. And so Paul pushed back on that. And he goes, you respect him, you cherish her, and that, that that'll be, that's holiness. You respect, you cherish, you submit, you sacrifice. That's the problem of offense. And this brings me to the problem of order. I think a lot of people have a problem with this text because the call to women comes before the call to men, or the call to wives comes before the call to husbands. You get the call uh, to submit before you get the call to sacrifice. And, and we know, historically speaking, um, things just don't work in that order. I mean, if Jesus coming into the world taught us anything, it's that the relationship always has to precede the rules. The sacrifice always has to precede the submission. It has to come first. I think we simply need to flip Paul's words here and the order of them, and I think it makes it much more digestible, much easier to tolerate. Romans chapter two, verse four, text says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Listen to me, church. I gladly submit my life to Christ because he gladly sacrificed his life for me. Because I know him, I want to obey him. Because I have a relationship with him, with everything in me, I want to be obedient to his rule. But that's the proper order. It has to go in that order. Kindness, then repentance. Sacrifice, then submission. Relationship, then rule. Submission before sacrifice is a dictatorship. Submission after sacrifice is discipleship. What I'm trying to say to you here, church, is the order really matters. The order really matters. It is sacrifice, then submission. Relationship, then rule. Now, I asked y'all earlier if you had in your lives a plan for discipleship, and my guess is that most of you don't, and I don't think it is a coincidence. I think there is a connection between our aversion to the word submit and our willingness to do it. I think there's a connection between how much we hate that word and our willingness to actually submit. I think a lot of us are really rebellious by nature, especially at Whitestone. Maybe you've been hurt by an authority figure in your life. Maybe you've been hurt by a parent and hurt by a teacher. Maybe you've been hurt by a coach or something like that. I think most of us just really work with this attitude that's like, hey, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's gonna tell me what to do. I am my own person. I call my own shots. I'll determine my own fate. Nobody's gonna see me vulnerable. Nobody's gonna see my weaknesses. I take care of me. Nobody else takes care of me. I think that's the general attitude of most of the population. And while that is an understandable attitude, it is not a Christian one. The Bible says if you are a believer, Jesus bought your life with a price and he demands from you obedience. He sacrificed for us, and now we are supposed to submit to him. Whether we like the word or not. When I was in college, I was uh, on my way to school one day, and it's uh, when I was at UT, and I was going down to Kingston Park, and I pulled in Mrs. Winters to get a uh, chicken biscuit, and uh, that's how old I am, don't hate And so I get this chicken biscuit, and I go to take a bite of it, and it is still, this thing's still frozen. I mean, like, it's barely thawed, and I bite into it. I was hungry, so I took a good bite out of it. I mean, it's still, you all know what chicken looks like when it hadn't been cooked. I mean, it just, when it hits my throat, it was like, oh, man. And so I take a bite of this thing, and I look at it, and it's still, like, all pink and red and veiny on the inside. And so I pull over on the side of the road, and I throw up a little bit. And then I throw this, uh, you know, throw this chicken biscuit out. I'm so mad at Mrs. Winters because I'm running out of time. I don't think Mrs. Winters is a person, but if it is, I was mad at her because she messed up my chicken biscuit. Point is, I didn't give up eating chicken biscuits forever after that, you know, Um, because if I would have, you know, if I'd have got that one bad chicken biscuit and then decide I'm never going to eat a chicken biscuit again, I would have missed out on the deliciousness that is a number one from Chick-fil-A. You know, what a delicious chicken biscuit that is. And the even better Cajun filet chicken biscuit served at Bojangles. Yeah, I said Bojangles. I know it's Bojangles. Just because you have been hurt by authority doesn't mean you aren't supposed to submit to it. When you find it in its holiest, and purest and most loving form now let me remind you here submission is predicated on sacrifice submission is predicated on christ's likeness as difficult as it might be i ask you to not let past wounds prevent you from current obedience Once you have experienced a relationship with Christ, do not be afraid to submit to him wholly, to submit to his way, his call, his rule, and his authority. This, I believe, should become the discipleship plan for all of your lives. Read the Bible, listen to the Holy Spirit, and do what it says. Submit to those voices, even if you don't like the word, because he's worthy of it, and the sacrifice should beget submission. Pray for me, pray with me, and for me, no rocks. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, God, I am, uh, what, a, what, what a word, God, teach us. Help us to not let our rebellious hearts prevent us from doing what you've called us to do and from surrendering to your headship, lordship, and authority. God, there are lessons to be learned in this text. I pray, I pray for a number of things right now for the people who are gathered in this place and the people who are watching online. I pray for some conversations that will take place over lunch, after the service. I pray that there are some wives in in the the room who will look at their husbands at lunch and say, hey, I'm sorry I haven't respected you the way that I should. And I pray for some husbands who will look at their wives and will say, I'm sorry I haven't cherished you the way that I should. And I pray for a commitment in both of them to do better in that regard. God, help us when it comes to our rebellious hearts to know who we can trust and who we can't trust. Help us to know the proper places to surrender and the proper places to keep the walls up. Show us the way. We love you, thank you for uh, your great sacrifice. We submit ourselves to you. As the text says, we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. We offer our lives to you, do with it what you will. We love you, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.